Amen. Well, this is uh, normally the time that we move towards meet and greet for about five minutes. Um, so if you want to go ahead and, you know, well, don't touch anybody around you. That's kind of the general idea right now. But uh, give the person sitting next to you at home a high five and say hello. And um, you guys can get your Bibles out and get ready to go through uh, the Word. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 today. And... Uh, you know, it's been kind of interesting preparing for uh, this new season of a lot of live streaming. I've been talking to a lot of uh, different pastors around Oregon, uh, just that are doing some of this for the first time. They've never even live streamed, and so they're getting some of the technology figured out. We're ironing things out. We've moved uh, into a whole other room in our church to kind of help with that during this season. And uh, But, you know, there have been some pretty funny pictures and memes that have come out uh, regarding these uh, new and awkward and exciting times, and uh, I wanted to share some of them with you uh, so we can, we can all chuckle together and laugh together. This one, uh, my buddy Troy texted to me this week, and he said, uh, this is pastors live streaming their sermons this Sunday. And, uh, of course, you got a, a gentleman that um, doesn't have any pants on. He's got the nice suit and tie on up top, but his laptop is not picturing his, his, uh, his undercarriage. So <laughs> don't worry, um, Johnny will not be pan- panning the camera down below the pulpit today. Uh, so you don't have to worry about uh, what we got going on over here. But... Uh, then we've got uh, a tweet by Ed Wiley who said, uh, man, trying to keep some normalcy in our lives by showing up late to church in our own living room. So uh, that might have been a few of you this morning. You, you're just tuning in right now maybe, and hey, not much has changed huh, since last week. So anyways, this uh, church decided to, uh, to curb the threat of the coronavirus by having church in their parking lot. Everyone stay in your cars and we'll have service up on the lawn area. And this is not a bad idea. We might have to think about doing this. Um, But uh, at Belua Baptist Church, we'd like to thank everyone for coming out for our drive-in worship last night. However, we ask the following. We ask women not to leave Afghans overnight to reserve a parking space. Uh, There are rules. You know, this isn't anarchy. We ask that members kindly not arrive early to park in the back row. We ask you not to recline your seat during the sermon. Uh, we kindly ask you not to blow the car, <laughs> not to blow the car horn as an amen. Um, however, for today you can you know you can do little emojis and stuff like that or. Um, no mad faces or thumbs down, though, during our service today. Um, and we ask that you not start the engine and leave during the invitation. <laughs> so while we're giving a gospel opportunity, uh, don't get up and leave, please. Uh, we also just got word that the Last Supper has been canceled. So um, Jesus and the boys decided not to show up for their time of fellowship in the Last Supper painting. I thought it was funny. I don't know. Not getting a whole lot around here for the Last Supper meme. It's probably people are rolling at home right now. Uh, James Papa Dad Darren Hicks tweeted out 
if you bought 30 rolls of toilet paper, you owe three to the church. Tithing is not canceled. So it's really actually a very good word for us. Uh, the wor- uh, work of the ministry is still continuing. The church still has uh, ministry and, and uh, payments and things. So as uh, we're not together during these times, um, just please still be led by the Spirit and intentional about generosity. This isn't a joke, actually. He goes like, oh, he's still cracking jokes. Um, but I uh, had some people ask this week, you know, how do I give and tithe during this time? You can send your checks uh, to P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. And I uh, just appreciate everyone continuing to be diligent and generous giving for the work of the ministry here at Calvary Prineville. And one last little meme here, Forrest Gump speaking on the bench saying, and just like that, everyone's a televangelist. And uh, I think there's a lot of televangelist ministries happening today. And we are one of them. So uh, we are going to be getting into the Word now. And if you want to get your Bibles out at home, we also, as long as we aren't having errors, we're going to be showing those slides um, here on your screen as well, but we're in Hebrews 10, and we're going to read verses 11 through 25. We're going to really focus on verse 25, and then come around the horn and look at verses 19 and on quickly. So I'm going to read it, and you can follow along from home today. It says this, Hebrews 10, 11 through 25. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnessed to us, For after this, he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Uh, This week, as you know, uh, the Nepal team was supposed to be in Nepal. Right now would have been the middle of our trip. And uh, we were sad to um, get the word last Thursday that uh, Nepal had shut down all tourist visas and that our hard-trained trip was uh, canceled. 
but we trust the Lord in that, and we know he's going to use us in many other ways. Uh, And one of those things is that on Thursday this week, we went for a team hike out at the Shotgun Ranch and hiked up to the fire tower and had a great time of worship and prayer and um, a great Nepali meal of dalbat and uh, masala tea. And uh, one of the gals from the team asked, you know, hey, so what's the plan with church now? What are we doing these days? And we began to talk about how, man, there's a lot less gathering at the moment. Um, Going to be doing live stream. And it was Michelle who said, man, I can just hear my grandpa now saying, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And, uh, you know, that is good wisdom, Grandpa, and uh, that is something that we all have really been considering in this time. What do we do about Hebrews 10.25, you know, in in this time of crisis, emergency, um, a a call to the whole world to do social distancing and shelter in place, and what do we do about uh, passages like Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 25, and I was uh, heard this week that in the Muslim world, uh, it's been a great dilemma on trying to curb the Corona virus uh, because, you know, the the gathering for Muslims is one of the the main sacred pillars for them. And so uh, they've still been gathering regularly and there have been high amounts of um, cases of this COVID-19 and uh, especially in Indonesia, you know, where uh, man, there's just been uh, a lot of Muslims saying, we, we are gathering, um, we're not going to stop, and we're going to sanitize our mosques, but we're, we're gathering. And, and so, you know, interesting to see another religion even uh, have to consider these things. Um, as we do here, it, it causes us to ask some very basic questions that are necessary for us who are Christians. We think about our responsibility to the Lord and to one another, our obligations to a local church and what it means to be a part of uh, a local body. And the very important aspect of ecclesiology, which is gathering together in Christian worship and studying the Word of God and then living it out in obedience with one another. So how are Christians to think of the orders coming from our governments that, you know, we just can't be together during this time. Um, Albert Moeller, who does a broadcast called The Briefing, he's the president of the Boyce College, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, on uh, March 20th, just a couple days ago, had a great and helpful podcast regarding such a thing, if you get a chance to listen to it. But if you'll look with me at verse 25, it kind of picks up mid-sentence, which is really good um, Bible interpretation skills. Always pick up in the middle of a thought, and you'll never go wrong. No, actually, that's everything that they teach you not to do in uh, Bible college. Uh, So, don't worry, we're going to be going back to be getting some of the full context here leading into this verse, but we're still going to check this part out first, where it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. We're not to cease or abandon or desert meeting together, assembling together, gathering together. Uh, It was a number of years ago in 1994, but USA Today put an article out where they said that 48% of churchgoers attend an average of once a month. So that's uh, just a little less than half of people who say they go to church 
only actually go once a month. And, and maybe even some of you who tune in, you know, you're, you're kind of like, hey, this whole COVID-19 go to church online thing, that's, that's like right up my alley because I don't really fellowship with the saints and get out there, uh, shoes to the pavement, um, you know, face to face with people. And, uh, and, you know, I would just suggest to you not to get too excited during this time, although we are meeting you where you're at. Uh, you know, it's my prayer that even through this sermon today, the Lord would move you to come to a place of obedience in getting out there and gathering together with Christians uh, face-to-face in the presence of other believers. By the time this COVID-19 comes to an end, you'll be chomping at the bit to get out and be with the saints. Uh, and so we have this phrase, the assembling of ourselves together. I like that word assembly. It reminds me of school, specifically middle school, high school. Uh, did you not love when you were going to class and you just knew you had this dull day of learning ahead of you? And then the teacher says, we've got an assembly and everyone shouts and cheers and it means you get to go and maybe be entertained or do something fun. And, uh, and I think that's the same thing with us. You know, the assembly is something that should be fun. It should be something that we look forward to. Um, and yet assembling together and gathering together, while they're very similar, they're even actually different things. Assembly, uh, you may think of something like going to Costco and and getting one of those really cool play structures that they've got kind of up high in the middle of the store. And you purchase that for your kids and you take it home and it doesn't just pop up as a play structure. You've got to open up the box. It says some assembly required. You've got to get the directions out. And you start finding that every part of this play structure has its place, has its part, has to do its share wiggles into place this way, screws into place that way, hangs into place this way, and makes this complete, um, useful, playful structure. It's the same with the church. And we're prayerfully led by the Spirit in this time that even though we're going to be separated through this virus, how can we, through technology, through even certain interactions, still assemble still be put into our place with our abilities and giftings and talents to complete this uh, structure called the church. Uh, So this word assembling, uh, in the Greek, it's synago, synago. Now, there's a couple things that we might think of when we hear that sin, uh, synergy, or sync, S-Y-N, sync, synergy, uh, we know those words today to mean, you know, coming together and being one or, or um, uh, uniting. Uh, of course, the Jews would hear that word synag- synago and, and think synagogue. And that's a great track to go. That word synagogue comes from this Greek word to assemble. Uh, synagogue. Synagogue is something that we even as Christians can do and should B, it's central to our understanding of the life and ministry of Jesus. He was going all over Galilee and teaching in every synagogue. Throughout the book of Acts, synagogues were places where even the ministry of the apostle Paul, the preaching of the word and the evangelism and discipleship was taking place. 
And I just want to go through very quickly a few psalms that speak of what happens in the synagogue, in the synago, in the assembling of ourselves together. So if you will quickly follow along, Psalm 22, 22 says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. So what happens in the synagogue? Declaring God's name to brethren, praising God in the synagogue. Uh, just a couple of verses later, Psalm 22, 25, my praise shall be to you in the great assembly. I like that. That word great is used there to show a very large gathering of people, a great assembly. And it says, I'll pay my vows there before you. Uh, I give generously at the synagogue. Psalm 89, 5, and the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. Great Worship takes place as we're gathered together. Psalm 107, 32, let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of saints. Psalm 11, 111, 1, praise the Lord. I'll praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright. And then it says, and in the congregation, the congregating, the gathering, the assembling, I will praise him. Psalm 149.1, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of saints. When you look in the book of Nehemiah and the revival that happened in chapter 8, you look in at verse 1 through 6, you see all the people gathered together as one man in the open square. Uh, so that was in front of the water gate. So what we're reading of is what's called the revival at the water gate in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, it says in verse 2, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear and understand on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday uh, before the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood a number of, of good men and priests there. Okay, so we're already seeing an Old Testament example of gathering, of assembling, everyone coming together as one man. Uh, you've got uh, a leader, you've got Ezra, they make a stage, a platform, he begins to read. He's got help for the multitude in getting the word out to them and preaching to them. In verse 5 here of Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. So those of you that are from the south, those of you that like a few good amens in a sermon, it's kind of a biblical thing here in the book of Nehemiah. We've got people shouting out, amen, brother, amen, bring it, preach, right? Uh, and so all the people stood up shouting out, amen, while lifting their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord and their faces to the ground. And then verse 8 says, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense, so they gave exegesis of the scripture, they, they, uh, they did hermeneutics, they preached the word, and, um, and it goes on to say, and they helped them to understand the reading. 
So by the time of the emergence of the Christian church in the book of Acts and, and uh, after the life of Jesus on the earth, it's very clear that the Christian church was a gathered assembly, a congregation. The assemblies gathered themselves together, city by city, village by village, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, they assembled themselves together. Let's look at Acts 11.26, this book of Acts, early church examples for us. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So assembling together, a church assembling together, teaching going on, just like in Nehemiah chapter 8. And go back a few chapters in the book of Acts to Acts 4.31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So after one of the first persecutions of Peter and John, there was a church prayer meeting. They were assembled together in it. In their prayer, they were quoting scripture and speaking out theology in their gathering. Now, we're going to go back even, isn't it interesting, we're starting later on in Acts, and now we're... We're going early. So now we're in chapter 2. A very famous passage, a great method for us, and principles set forth for early church practice where they continued steadfastly. Continued steadfastly. If you've got a pen at home, you can underline that phrase. Continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So they continued steadfastly in gathering together for the purposes of getting into the word of God, the apostles' doctrine, breaking bread, maybe eating together, having fellowship together. Fellowship is the word koinonia, communion, and it means sharing with one another. So they were having communion. They were breaking bread. They were in the word of God, and they were praying. Uh, And so there's just great precedent for gathering together. The American Standard Version says that they devoted themselves continually persisting in these things. They were persevering. They were consistently diligent in the gathering. Now, you might be asking, Rory, why are you teaching us this when, you know, it's like salt in the wound here. You're kicking a a horse, a dead dog, kicking a dog while while he's down. There's a lot of kickings. um, (laughs) Kicking a man while he's down beating a dead horse, whatever it is. Uh, Why are you teaching this right now, Rory? Well, because I believe that the Lord wants this type of gathering to continue, even though maybe we can't be face-to-face for a season. And we're going to get like, well, Lord, how could this happen? And so just let the Lord maybe begin to minister to your heart that as we do look at theology on it's necessary that we're getting together. Okay. Matthew Henry wrote about the early church and their continual gatherings that when they withdrew from the untoward, unpleasant generation, they did not turn into hermits, 
but were very intimate with one another and took all occasions to meet. Wherever you saw one disciple, you would see more like birds of a feather. You know what they say about birds of a feather. What do they do? They flock together. That's Christians. We're like what Spurgeon said. The church is a beehive of activity. And so we see theological, biblical precedents for being together. John Piper said, I'd like to define a local church like this. A local church is a group of baptized believers who meet regularly to worship God through Jesus Christ, to be exhorted from the word of God and to celebrate the Lord's Supper under the guidelines of appointed leaders. Piper goes on to say, there must be a regular assembling. A group of people who only come together, say, once a year, could not rightly be called a local church because there are essential activities of a church which lose their meaning when not done corporately. Uh, Paul Minier has a classic work that he wrote called Images of the Church in the New Testament. He gives 95 pictures that are given to us of what a church is. And I'm just going to give you a couple. A church is a flock. Okay, so when you think of a flock, flock of sheep, flock of birds, you don't think of one bird or one sheep. You go to your buddy's house, he's got a 4-H sheep there, and he says, check out my flock. You know he's kidding, because a flock is more than one, right? Birds of a feather flock together. And as Christians, we are part of the flock of God. We are part of many sheep underneath the chief shepherd. Another image from the New Testament is that of a body. There's a lot of body parts, a lot of members, the Bible says. Uh, and yet we all make up one body. Jesus says that uh, I am the vine and you are the branches. There's a lot of branches connected to Jesus, the vine. We are a family, not of just one person, but of many people um, being part of the family. And then we are also a temple as the church that are made up of a lot of stones, a lot of living stones. And Charles Jefferson wrote, the living stones have not abiding life unless they're built into the walls of a growing temple. So what all these images in the New Testament tell us is that Christianity is a corporate matter. You can't be a hermit and live out the life of a Christian. Uh, the Christian life can only be fully realized in relationship to others. Uh, Mark Deaver wrote in a book about the church, and he quotes Erickson's book of theology, where he says the most fundamental duty Christians have in relationship to the congregation is the duty to regularly attend gatherings of the congregation. Jesus said in Matthew eighteen twenty that where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Moeller said in his podcast, that doesn't mean that every place that two or three Christians are gathered together is a church in and of itself. It does mean that wherever two or three Christians are gathered together, the spirit of Christ is the bond between them. And so interesting that we can just trust that the Lord is using this, even today, this live stream where there's people, not just from Primeville, but really all over, that are gathering together, we're kind of in one place as much as we possibly can be right now, and we're letting Christ be the bond that, that unites us together in this unique historical time. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, Paul is writing about collecting an offering uh, in Corinth and sending it down to the people suffering in Judea. And he says, whenever you come together, whenever you, whenever you come together, I'm thinking of uh, chapter 16 regarding that context. This one was about spiritual gifts and how you're not really using them in order. But he says, hey, whenever you come together, uh, you've all got these different spiritual gifts that you're not really using in order, but you're still coming together. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, uh, we see that it was the first day of the week that Christians gathered for those, um, those essential Christian activities. First day of the week it was at the resurrection of Jesus that the Christians stopped worshiping on Saturday and they began uh, worshiping also in addition in concentrated form on Sunday, the day that celebrates the resurrection, the Lord's Day. And it's in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, where they're gathering the, the supplies for the suffering in Judea. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. So as you come together, bring these things uh, for the relief effort on that first day of the week that we now know is called the Lord's Day. Christians named this the Lord's Day, and it was where the communal assembly of the saints took place it was at Sunday worship. It's really emphasized in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, when John the Revelator was on the island of Patmos, and he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and then he sees this vision of Jesus. So we have historical precedent for the gathering of the saints together, and that they gather and they do certain Christian principles and methods Studying the word, breaking bread, fellowshipping with one another, sharing with one another, having communion, and praying. Uh, it's said that the non-Christian Roman official Pliny wrote to the emperor Trajan in about 112 AD, referring to the fact that Christians met regularly before daybreak on the appointed day. The Didache, which is an early 2nd century church document, exhorted Christians, quote, on the Lord's day, assemble. Justin Martyr was a writer in the middle of the second century. He described a common assembly that would happen on the first day of each week, that's a Sunday, in which Christians came together for reading scripture, preaching, prayer, and the collections of an offering. And Hippolytus, wouldn't you love to have that name, uh, Hippolytus in the early third century would refer to God's people gathering together each Lord's day. Mark Deaver wrote from the earliest of time, local Christian churches were congregations of specific identifiable people. And maybe even today we've got a little bit of a church going on. We've got a live stream. We've got an ability to click on there and say, Hey, here's some specific identifiable people that are partaking in Worship with a local congregation in Prineville. But Deaver goes on to say, God has always intended for a sharp, bright line to distinguish those who trust in him from those who do not. The lives of Christians together display visibly the gospel that they proclaim audibly. So as we meet, and I think even through our live streams and our Facebook chats, the world is seeing this. And we're able to proclaim the gospel in our love and fellowship with one another in this crazy time. 
right? Um, we have also known the word not only synagogue or synago, but the word church, which in the Greek is ekklesia. Ekklesia means called out ones. It's one of the most important New Testament words to describe the church as the church, that we are called out, out of darkness, into his marvelous light, called out of something, into something, out of someone, into someone. That is Jesus, called to assemble and worship and praise and minister to one another. We've got to let the Bible speak for itself regarding our gatherings. And when we do, it's obvious that the New Testament has a lot to say regarding the gathering together of Christians. So what do we do about this new season? We've got this season where there's a virus going around that many people are getting. It's clearly gone across the, the, the globe. It's not an epidemic. It's a pandemic. It's not locally um, a suffering. It's, it's all around the world. You know, All sorts of faiths are having this. All sorts of cultures are having this. People are dying at an alarming rate. We're in Prineville, Oregon, in the middle of the country, and no one's got it. It seems almost surreal. Like, are we being punked right now? Are we on candid camera? You know, life sort of seems normal, except that we're being told, hey, you know, we've got to limit our gatherings. We've got to keep them down to about 10 people or less. Going to have to probably start staying in our homes. Uh, it's, it's a crazy time. Uh, last week, if you didn't get to listen online, you can listen on our YouTube channel or on our live stream that was saved in Facebook. And you can listen to just a Christian perspective of what to do with the coronavirus. Um, what do we do with this? You know, I, I am confident at the moment that the governments are not forbidding Christian worship. That's not the issue right now. They're really just asking us to be wise with our gathering together. And they're just, you know, it's my discernment that they're just trying to do the best that they can as leaders to try to protect their people. And so what can we do? All right, Rory, you started us at verse 25 in the middle of a sentence that says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. That's been the practice of some. Even some of you that might be tuning in, you've been forsaking the assembling together, and the Lord wants to call you out of that. He wants to call you into fellowship. Um, but, uh, but what do we do now that we, we can't really gather, or that's difficult? I want to go back to verse 19. In verse 19 of this text, uh, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Hebrews, um, you know, it it's, can be intimidating if you don't know what it's about. But essentially, uh, there were Jewish Christians who had become persecuted for following Jesus. They'd been ostracized from their community, kicked out of the synagogues, written out of the family will, kicked out of the home. And they were being persecuted as Christians who were also Jews. And so many of these um, Jews were going back to the system um, before Christ. And the whole book is the author writing. We don't know who the author is. Something it was Paul, something it might have been Apollos, who knows. Um, but the author is saying, you know what, everything that the Jewish law and custom had, all the values, they were pointing to Jesus. He is the true and better fulfillment of those things. 
You valued angel. Jesus is better than angel. He's not an angel. He created the angels. He knows what it's like to suffer and to be betrayed like no other angel does. He's better than Moses that the Jews valued because he made Moses, just like the builder of a house gets more glory than the house itself. He's better than the priests because he didn't have to offer up sacrifices every year. He made one sacrifice and he doesn't get you know, kicked out after 40 years of being a priest. He's eternally the priest. He does a better sacrifice than the Jewish priest did with the blood of bulls and goats because he offered up himself just one time. That sacrifice by that one priest once for all, it was sufficient for the whole world and for all times to take away sin. And so the author's just saying, man, in any way that you could value what you did in Judaism, now we're telling you it has its fulfillment in Jesus. Don't drift away. Don't fall back. Don't go back. But keep continuing on in Jesus because we've got a better sacrifice and it covers over our sins. That's the context going right in here to verse 19. And so he says, so we've got boldness, brethren. We can be brave and courageous and have confidence to go into that holy holies, that holy place, the place that everyone knew was the most beautiful, most splendid place because the glory of God dwelled there. Hey, as Jews, you don't got to have someone else go in for you. There's not even a veil anymore. You can go right in right now. And you know what? That's a word for us today that even though you're through a camera or you're on the internet, you're going to be listening to teachings online. You know what? We have confidence that we can enter in to the holiest place, the holy of holies. One of my favorite verses since high school has been Romans chapter five. It says in verse one, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And as a kid, as a high schooler, I always used to think about how, man, I get to go into the presence of God because of what Jesus did. I have an all-access VIP pass to get to go into his presence. And we also, brethren, tuning in online, we also have that same access, and it's by the blood of Jesus. Just a chapter earlier in chapter 9, verses 12 through 14, we see that it's not with the blood of bulls and goats. Those had their place, but it wasn't for the complete atonement of sin. And if the blood of bulls and goats was sufficient for some things, how much more would the blood of Jesus be for rinsing our conscience clean from dead works to serve a living God? In verse 20, it says, it's by the blood of Jesus, which is a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. It's because of what Jesus did. It's a new, it's a fresh thing that he did that we don't have to be caught in rules and rituals and religiosity. He breaks us out of that by opening up the way into the Holy of Holies by what he did on the cross, by what he did when his flesh was pierced and whipped and scourged and uh, nailed to that tree. And we know from the gospels in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, that when Jesus died on the cross, that the veil from the temple during a great earthquake and during great darkness that was happening there in Jerusalem, the veil, this thick sheet, this thick curtain that was in the temple separating the common folk from the holy presence of God, uh, we know that that veil was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing the access that's been made available to anyone who'd believe in Jesus. We get that all-access pass because of what Jesus did when his veil of his flesh was torn. Verse 21 and 22, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience 
and our body is washed with pure water. And so we have a true and better priest uh, than the priesthood of Aaron. In fact, Jesus, our priest, the book of Hebrews says, is from the line of Melchizedek. It's a crazy study. You've got to do some time. And because we have this better priest, we get to draw near with a few neat things. Number one, a true heart. True hearts. We can come right now, even via live stream, from a distance, in the midst of a crisis or an epidemic, and we can come with true hearts and believe that God's moving in the midst of this. And we even have fellowship through the wires of the cable internet uh, and through the Wi-Fi waves. Uh, we draw near and approach with truthful, genuine hearts. It's the Greek word cardia. It's our inner self. And we have those cardias sprinkled. I always love this image. The sprinkled from an evil conscience. Do you have an evil conscience? Are the things that you've done, are they just hanging on your back, clinging to your mind? You can't shake them. They're keeping you up tonight, at night. As the psalmist says, my bed swims with a guilty conscience every night. Does your bed swim at night because you don't have a clean, clear conscience? Today you can come to Jesus and have your heart sprinkled, just clean with living water. Um, as it says there, uh, heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's a purification that can take place. Look in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, uh, last week there was a great word from the Olivet Discourse in Luke chapter 21, where Jesus says in the midst of the trials towards the end times, let patience possess your souls. And here we hear a great word of hold fast the confession, cling to, control your confession of the hope of the gospel without any sort of wavering. In this time where things seem uncertain, you guys, let's not backslide, okay? Let's not draw back to perdition as is the manner of some, the book of Hebrews says. But let us go forward. Let's press in all the more in our relationship with each other, in our fellowship with one another, in our walk with Jesus, holding fast and clinging to what we know to be true from the scriptures, what we've learned and been assured of by our pastors and by our elders, um, and hold on to that hope that we have without any sort of wavering. Be unbending in this. Don't even think about, you know, the next couple weeks, the next couple months, the next year as something that, you know what, I'm just going to chill back. I'm not going to be in part of any fellowship, not going to tune into the live stream, going to watch TV, going to get fat and lazy. And you know what, we're just going to ride this thing out. Man, we are praying against that as a church. We want to be unbending in our resolve to keep being disciples and followers of Jesus in this time uh, because he who promised is faithful. So what do we do with this good news that we've been, uh, we have a new high priest. He's made a way for us to have access into the throne room of God, uh, that we can draw near with clean hearts and without wicked consciences. We can be unwavering and knowing what he's done for us. What do we do with that? Um, there's a saying in theology and in studying the Bible that is the redemptive indicatives lead to moral imperatives. And what that means is we just read a series of verses that talk about the redemption that's in Christ Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And now there are things for us to do 
in the light of that. And so the author of Hebrews says, what do we do in the light of that? Number one, let us consider one another. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Well, that was considerate. Have you ever been told that? To be considerate towards one another, to contemplate one another, to give some careful thought and consideration. To be considerate means that you're concerned about something other than yourself. You're concerned for someone. It's been called the ministry of mutual incitement. That's what consideration is. When we're considerate towards one another in order or for a purpose of stirring up love and good works, we are part of a ministry of mutual incitement. And the language speaks of the goading of a farm animal. You know, the the hot shot, the prod, the cattle prod, the goading or the spurring on of a horse with your spurs. There's mutual incitement and spurring on and exhortation that takes place. Colin Brown calls this consideration affectionate incitement. It's contemplation with continual consideration. It's a character uh, of looking for the wants of our brethren. What do our brothers need during this time so that I can give him help, so that I can give him counsel? And what is the purpose of this mutual incitement, this careful consideration? It says that it's in order to stir up love and good works. I want to stir it up. I want to stir up love and good works. Now, the word stir up in the Greek can actually mean something that's like kind of bad. You know, uh, It can mean to stir up an intense argument or a sharp disagreement. Those of us that have kids, we're, we're automatically picturing our kids stirring up some kind of a fight with one another. Um, they're inciting one another. The language speaks of provoking one another. In the New Revised Standard Version Bible, it says provoke one another to stir up love and good works. But in the Greek, it's with a view to provoke unto love instead of provoking to hatred. The New American Standard Bible says consider one another in order to stimulate to rouse to activity or to move one another. And that word stimulate in the Greek speaks of evoking strong feelings in the way that music stirs up our emotions. And so something that the Lord would have us do in light of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins and having access into the throne room of God through the veil of Jesus' flesh is that we are really carefully considering one another, thinking of one another, so that we could incite in one another and stimulate emotions for love and good works. The NIV says it so that you can spur one another on to love and good works. We live in Prineville. It's a cowboy community. We've got our spurs. It's branding season. We're all ready to get out this week. We've got a couple brandings coming up, and we're ready to get those spurs on and start moving animals. And uh, in the same way, man, that's what we are doing with one another. We're, We're Kicking each other in the flank a little bit and getting ready to go so that we can have love and good work for the world and for the Lord. Love and good works. Speaks of goodwill. When I was a kid, I didn't really appreciate going to the goodwill store. Um, When I was uh, being raised in Corvallis, there was a goodwill thrift store. And in the back, there was a vending machine uh, where you could get chicken soup. And I remember just in an experiment once, I 
put in uh, some coins and I watched the little plastic cup drop down, a little paper cup, and then I watched this thing spew out a vulgar concoction that apparently was chicken soup. And I just remember, then there was a plastic shroud around the, the air and it was covered with soup and I lifted it up and immediately deposited the soup in the garbage. So the joke in our family was for my birthday dinner, Rory, we're going to be taking you to Goodwill for some chicken soup for our birthday. Well, um... Now, as I've learned more about goodwill, Christian goodwill, I've begun to love the name of the thrift store and the thrift store itself. Most of my nice shirts that you'll see me preaching in are from the good old Redmond Goodwill. And uh, goodwill, love and goodwill, helping people out. Love shows that the desire of the highest good goes towards an object. That's what true agape Christian love is. And the good deeds that we read of here are advantageous, beautiful deeds, tangible expressions of love, practical outworkings of love. So, knowing what Jesus did for us, we need to have intentional thoughts and consideration toward one another in how we can express love to each other at Calvary Prineville in the next two weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, eight months, nobody knows. But one thing is, these tangible expressions of Christian goodwill and love that come through mutual consideration for one another, they've got to keep continuing in this time. We've got to let the Holy Spirit prompt us in this way. Quickly, there are four features, and I've got them on a slide for you. There are four features of this ministry of incitement, this ministry of considering one another. Number one, it's the responsibility of all Christians. So if you are a Christian saved by the blood of Jesus, you've had this wonderful work of the gospel, verses 19 on, happening in your heart, in your life, forgiveness of sins. You guys, you have an obligation to the other Christians around you to incite them, to consider it, consider, be considerate for them, and to stir up love and good works in their life. It's not a ministry for a certain subgroup of people in the church, people who are more naturally extroverted or those that possess certain spiritual gifts, those who occupy leadership positions. It's a ministry of obligation assigned to every Christian. According to the book of Hebrews, it's an obligation for everyone who's experienced the saving benefits of Jesus. Number two, it requires intentional thought. Intentional thought or incitement. One man said, this incitement is the fruit of intentional deliberation. I know some of us, even in this room, have had to sit down and kind of make a little list of ways that we are going to love people in our church. Who can we call? Who can we write? Who can we text? You know, maybe we can divide up the the fellowship directory in this way or that way. How can we do this? It takes thought and sitting down and planning out that we are going to love one another. Uh, One commentator says it like this. It refers to a conscientious care and circumspection over the spiritual estate and welfare of other Christians. Every one of us has that role of conscientious care and circumspection, circumspection, open-eyed thinking about the welfare of our other Christians. 
One man said, you know what this means for you? It means that you must give intentional, deliberate, purposeful, meaningful, calculated effort to consider one another's circumstances, trials, struggles, weaknesses, temptations, infirmities, and needs. And so how are we going to do that? How are you going to do that in this time? Taking that special time for that. We are wrapping up here. I'm on page 12 of 12 of my notes, so... I mean, you got to know, it's only about another hour left and we'll be good. But um, this deliberation speaks of a deliberate reflecting and pondering of the people in our church, praying for things like sensitivity to their needs, insight into their life, what they might be experiencing through these shelter-in-place, quarantine, social uh, distancing What are these different people? I've got tons of friends. I'm an extrovert. I'm texting people all day long. But this other person, that other person, they might not have anyone. We need to be reaching out to them. Uh, How do we do that during this time? Perhaps it's you going through the fellowship directory daily. Maybe it's systematically. You're just going to go through the fellowship directory. I'm going to text, call, email, write, send a funny meme, whatever. I'm going to encourage them and stir up love and good works in their life. Starting in the A's and going down to the Z's in our church directory or our church Facebook page. Thinking and praying over these individuals. Reaching out to them. Being intentional. The third thing out of four is that this ministry of incitement is marked by words of exhortation. I encourage you that when you do reach out, do it with a purpose in order to stir up love and good works. In order to encourage people not to forsake the assembling together, even via online, maybe it's time for that person to get a Facebook page and keep it private just so they can be a part of the community during this time. But also, don't let it just be fluff with one another. Maybe really speak words of exhortation into their life. Exhortation means to spur somebody on. It means to urge them. It means to implore them. It means them to be called together towards something. And the fourth and final thing is, This ministry of incitement increases in frequency. Back in verse 25, after the exhortation not to to neglect the assembling of ourselves together, we have this, uh, so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're going through the book of Revelation as a church. We're in chapter 20. I think it's maybe next week we're going to be studying the great white throne judgment. We know that the Lord is coming soon. This whole virus on a global scale shows that the word of the Lord is true and that part of the birth pangs of his coming are, are taking place through this epidemic, or I guess it would be a pandemic. And so we know that the day of the Lord is coming. And so I believe that the Lord wants to use this pandemic to create an even more towards our consideration of one another, our love and good works for one another, are exhorting one another. And so wrapping up, I want to read to you Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, but in the JBP. That is the James Phillips translation, okay? Uh, James Phillips was uh, a Bible translator back during World War II. He had a heart for the youth. He had a heart for high schoolers. And so he, he translated a Bible from the Greek into a language that the youth could understand. And it works for us today whatever, 70 years later, and uh, let me read it to you. He says, And let us think of one another and how we can encourage each other 
to love and do good deeds. And let us not hold aloof from our church meetings as some do. Let us do all we can to help one another's faith. And this the more earnestly as we see the final day drawing ever nearer. And so, Lord, we come before you today, corporately as a church, the best way that we can. One man said, YouTube makes a lousy church. And, uh, and I think that's true for all of ecclesiology, what the church is supposed to be. But, but in this time, it makes, it makes a great mode for fellowship. Um, Livestream makes a great avenue, a conduit for us to be together in these trying times. And so, Lord, in all of this, we pray for such a work of your spirit over our church, over Calvary Prineville. Oh, Lord, that you would remind us of the gospel throughout the day. Thank you for that good news, Lord, that you have created a way for us to have access into the presence of God by your flesh being stripped, whipped, punished, beaten, mocked, scourged, crucified, being killed. And Lord, I even pray for anyone who's tuning into this live stream that before this day, they never knew what you did to give them this VIP all-access pass into heaven. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you to just pray right now. In your heart, repeat just that, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and that I've been separated from you by my sin. But I'm hearing today from Hebrews that you have made a way for me as my high priest for me to enter into the holy presence of God, to have my sins forgiven, to have my my heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and my body washed clean with pure water so that I can be a part of this uh, love and good works and exhorting one another till the day you come back. And if that's you today, just say, Lord, I just pray you'd forgive me of my sins and wash me with that pure water I read about today. Give me a new heart and a new mind and a desire to consider others and to be in the gathering with them. And for all of us who are believers today, Jesus, we pray that we would go up higher, higher up and further in into fellowship, even though we have restrictions. Do a work of your spirit that grows this church in these trying times. And you will receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, stay tuned to our Facebook page throughout the week. We'll be having devotionals, prayer times, worship times, uh, times for you to chime in with prayer needs and needs. And uh, we really want to continue being a gospel-centered community uh, during this uh, global pandemic. And we hope to see you next week. Tune in 10 a.m. here at Calvary Prineville. God bless you.